Hey there, I'm Joanne Tambrakis, and this is Marketing, Mindfulness, and Martinis. Unfiltered conversations, or as I like to say, opinions shaken, not stirred, on what's changing and what's not in business and in life as we enter into the next normal. So pour yourself your beverage of choice, and let's get to it. Today's guest is Ryan Davis. Now, one of Ryan's many claims to fame is he got Howard Dean's website up back in 2003 when Dean tried running for president. I met Ryan 10 years later when he was working for Blue State Digital, and he came to guest speak in my NYU digital marketing class to tell us how effectively the Obama campaigns have been using email marketing. But Ryan is always juggling multiple projects, I've learned over the years, including his podcast, Out of Office, a travel podcast which must be so much fun, Ryan, when no one is traveling. Um, he, was an early, <laughs> he was an early Twitter adapter, which is how he was able to stand at Ryan New York as his handle. And he is currently the chief digital officer and founding partner of Main Street One, which is what we'll be talking about today. So welcome, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Congrats on, on the new podcast. Thank you. Thanks for being one of my first guests on this new experiment. Before we get into what you're doing with Main Street One, can you tell us where you're from and how that might have influenced the direction that you've taken? Well, where I'm from. So I'm from uh, Salisbury, Maryland, which is on the eastern shore by uh, close to a a town, Ocean City, which is known to people in the sort of D.C. metro area as as a vacation spot. And then I moved to New York when I was 18 to go to school. And uh I think that probably, you know, when you think about my career in marketing and political communications, that that sort of came out of my early New York life. You know, the the build up to the Iraq War uh, got me really interested in politics, and I was like an internet kid. You know, when I was a teenager, I had worked at an uh, uh, internet service provider, an ISP, doing tech support in the '90s. So people would call me and say things like, you know, I'm 15, and they would call me and say, um, you know, my my phone isn't connecting to the modem and I would have to, you know, check their IP address and use like wind windsock and all these things that only people will understand and, uh, from who, who use computers in the nineties. Um, so I'd always been sort of an internet nerd, even in the, even in my high school, middle school life. So, you know, when I went to, I, I kind of got interested in Howard Dean and he was the only one speaking out against the Iraq war and, um, you know, decided to go work on the campaign. So started doing, you know, worked on the digital campaign, um, digital team, which included a lot of fantastic people like Joe Rosebars, who would go on to found Blue State Digital, and uh, Zephyr Teachout, who would go on to run for uh, governor and, and be like a, a just terrific figure in the, in the progressive world. Um, you know, a lot, of, a lot of great people. So uh, that, was, that was probably how I got my, that's when I first started thinking about uh, you know, digital communications as, as a career, I guess, when I was sort of thrown into it on the Dean campaign. It, it's funny, I think, how many for how many people that's how their careers started. It's like, I was thinking about this, but then this happened and I went down this path. But I thought it was really important to have you on now as we're headed into the election. I forget exactly how many days, but we'll be, we're recording this ahead of time. So I won't even say how many days closer we are to the election. And we all hear so much about fake news and the spread of disinformation and misinformation. But I think very few of us truly understand what it means and how we can recognize it. Now, 45 likes to call anything that is not favorable to him fake news. But can you give us a more factual explanation? Sure. So, 
there's misinformation and disinformation. Misinformation is um, is false information that uh, is is misleads somebody, um, but is not necessarily there's no necessarily any intention. So it might just be your uncle posting something that doesn't make any sense about the coronavirus that that is wrong, but not because he is he is uh, deliberately trying to spread uh, lies about the the coronavirus. Disinformation is is deliberate, so it might be placed there by a bad actor, whether they be a foreign uh, uh, country or a, uh, a you know one of your competitors in a, in a business space, right? Um, but that is deliberately misleading or biased information that um, is, you know is is, better, is is propaganda essentially. So uh, the the effects of of misinformation and disinformation though are relatively similar, right? Um, because when you are being misled or misinformed, it's it's not that relevant to you whether the person is doing it intentionally or not. It, the end result is still the same. You're getting bad information. So what Main Street One, the 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 company that I I'm I'm with that. What, what we do is we listen to conversations happening online to understand, you know, what are the risks in the conversation, whether it be deliberate or, or, or not, um, to the brand or organization that we're working with. But also, very importantly, what are, the, what are the opportunities? You know, what are the conversations happening that might be positive? So we do both those things, um, you know, in trying to understand individual conversations. And obviously, fake news, um, which would be like a, a website that is sharing um, you know, deliberately misinformation, uh, deliberate disinformation um, is, is a major problem um, in the United States and, and abroad. You've got a lot of organizations um, that are just dot coms that are just using display advertising and, 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 and content farms to sort of get that get that information out there. Could you tell could you tell because I don't know who knows what at the other end of this, but um some of the terms that you're using, I, I understand, and I'm not sure everyone does. Could you explain what a content farm is? I know that we're not actually planting seeds and content's growing, but. Yeah, no. So a content farm is, you know, they've been around for, for a really long time. And it's basically a place where a, um, where somebody will start a .com, you know, throw up a website and uh, they will produce a ton of content and it's using keywords and buzzy words and things that will generate clicks from social or from search en- search engines, um, and you know it, it is it has traditionally been used as a way to make money, right? Where they're driving people to um, these these uh, you know these websites that have advertising and affiliate schemes and all sorts of things, and so they would just use the traffic to to make money. What has changed is in 2016, uh, you know, in, uh, conservative groups weaponized these content farms and turn them into not just money generating machines, although they were definitely that into persuasion engines where the amount, uh, you know, where they would um, not only be out there to make money, but also to change people's minds about politics to degrade their beliefs in, uh, you know, immigration reform or in a woman's right to choose, or, you know, you name the issue. Um, you know, there, there's somebody out there trying to, to spread seeds of doubt. Well, wow. do you think it's worse now than it was in 2016? It's it's hard to tell. You know, um, it is certainly incredibly prevalent. And if you look at the top webs, the top stories that are being shared on Facebook on any, any given week, it, it it's always borderline fake news. Um, you know, and the platforms have have done, you know, have have taken some steps to to cutting out. Uh, uh, disinformation, eliminating bots and fake accounts, but but the what they're up against is it's minuscule what they're throwing against it. So basically, 
you're talking about thousands of accounts being created on any given day that are, are bots or, or uh, troll accounts versus, you know, Facebook, which will remove a thousand over the course of three months or something, right? Um, when, you know, relative to the QAnon announcement recently. So I think, um, you know, it's hard to tell if it's worse. Certainly things like QAnon are really unique in like the American political story and, and uh, um, you know, are, are large by any measure. So, it, but again, like it's hard to say if it's, if it's worse or not, but it is, it is really prevalent, um, you know, at least at 2016 levels. So you mentioned bots and we hear about bots and trolls and sock puppets and they all sound like some video game that I don't want to be any part of, but is there a difference between them or does it matter to the average person? So a bot is, you know, a fake social media account that is mostly automated. So it might generate automated messages. It might, uh, you know, auto follow, auto like, auto engage. Um, and this is you know, super prevalent on Twitter where, you know, uh, uh, something like 10% of all accounts might be, might be bots. And then you've got variations on that theme. So you've got things like trolls, which are obviously trolls. You have to think of as like a real life bot. I mean, it's, it's a real user who lives and breathes to create, discord on the internet so they go around and and they upset people and that is part of the part of the game so that's an enormous uh section of of folks who don't have any political beliefs they're not sort of nihilistic right they don't actually care about what havoc they're wreaking it's just the they get they get off on that idea and then there are things like sock puppets which are more geared towards deception and um are generally set up to support one idea or one candidate and then you've got uh, cyborgs, which are really common, which are a combination of, of bot technology with people behind them. So basically uh, an account run by a person in terms of the kind of content they're creating, but that's performing all sorts of uh, automated actions. So automated liking, uh, mass looking, the ability to look at hundreds of millions of um, Instagram stories in, in, in seconds, right? Um, you know, these are the things that the cyborg is doing to get attention. So people will come and look at their content. Is there anything that an average person can do to actually realize? I, I'm, I'm a marketer, so I always tell my students that marketers aren't normal people. We look at everything differently, so we notice things differently. But is there anything that your average person would be able to take note of to say, hey, this can't be a real person. This is, this is, this is something, this is a piece of something that is designed to spread disinformation you know i think that using using critical thinking and good judgment is is still the way to go here right like understanding where a piece of content is coming from understanding where you're where you're reading it um so you know the the new york times is more credible than a, a blogspot url that has just been created yesterday uh you know and these are things that if people take a step back from the internet for a second, I, I think the sort of common sense approaches to understanding where we're getting information is really important. So if there's a, an account that you've never seen that is getting a lot of engagement and pushing some message that seems dubious, um, that, that, you know, is not, you can't find on any other websites, so a, a really good chance of that is a piece of propaganda, a piece of fake news, a conspiracy theory, and that you should, you should be, uh, you know, wary of it. Um, unfortunately, I think the kinds of people who who get drawn into these things, um, you know, tend not to tend to have tend to be skeptical anyway of things like the New York Times, of mass media, and so that without having any sort of neutral sources to go kind of ground your 
beliefs and it's very it's very difficult to be able to say well what you know what is fake news to, to me and i've seen this happen more than once with smart people sp- spreading things that i'm kind of like wow like do you even know what that source is that's it's so obvious to me that it's not credible and yet so that scares me when i see people that are, whose intelligence i've respected over the years doing that sort of thing yeah and then you've got these these news sites that are sort of on the on the borderline, right? Like things like Breitbart, um, where there's, it does feel like it might be a, a real website. They publish news that is, is most definitely factual, but then they have this massive bias and intentional uh, desire to tear down uh, a Democrat. So, uh, you know, the information published on that site is clearly biased when it comes to their reporting on politics. Um, and you get, you get in the, con- they get in the conversation that way. So it'll start as a, uh, a Twitter, a Twitter lie. It'll get moved to the sort of second tier conservative websites, and then it'll start to, you know, a, a, somebody on Fox News will mention it in a on a panel show, and so you can see it go from an internet uh, rumor up the up the sort of conservative media sphere to the to the top, which is, you know, Fox News is the tip of that that spear. Right. I I always tell people that there's a difference between slanting left or right and outright lies, but. Um... <laughs> I don't always win that argument. Um, so tell us what Main Street One is doing. So because you're trying to, if I understand this correctly, kind of counteract all of this craziness. To on and you know you're clearly working for the on the Democratic side. So can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah. So we work on the on the progressive side politically, and and then we also do brand work, which is you know a, a, a political work. So what we're trying to do is we're under, try to understand the conversations around various issues. So say we're interested in immigration, immigration reform. Um, we're going to listen to the conversation that's happening online. Uh, we're going to understand like, you know, what are the risks to immigration reform? What are the, what are the things people saying that are, are, are making immigration reform less popular in the United States? We're going to look, uh, whether that be real things um, or disinformation. Um, and we're going to look at the opportunities. You know, what are the positive things about immigration? Um, what's moving the needle? What is convincing people? What are people saying about um, immigration that uh, is likely to um, convince others, right? And then once we understand that, we sort of can craft messaging um, for what we would call the perfect messenger. So if we're trying to uh, influence women in Wisconsin, we're going to find other women in Wisconsin to, to tell these stories. And so we're sort of using the analysis to guide the content and then uh, not just the content, though, but also the messengers where the content is coming from. So the folks who are going to be talking about it. So, you know, we do campaigns or we 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 get uh, uh, folks, uh, you know, Gen Z, Gen Z and millennial um, people of color to talk about how important it is to register to vote and, and be active, um, you know, in this election. So instead of having that message come from a, a brand name, it's coming from folks who are in their community, who they, who they follow for reasons that are not political. Um, so we can actually be more credible by speaking to people where they're already at or the networks they're on from, from people they're already following. So really gra- kind of a grassroots influencer. Exa- exactly. Yeah. We're not looking for influencers, capital I influencers, you know, um, people, people out on the beach sipping, sipping uh, pina coladas. You know, <laughs> we're looking for real folks who uh, we can speak credibly to whatever issue we're trying to influence. So, you know, we did a, a big campaign around frontline workers. Um, about when they needed PPE and when they needed support, and you know who 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 better to 
have that conversation than nurses and doctors and paramedics and and shift workers and, and you know folks who are out there uh, on the on the front lines helping them tell their stories in a, in a way that can reach more people so it's really if i'm hearing everything correctly you're really it's a very specific type of social listening that you're doing right exactly and and are, i can i ask you are you using your own software on this or are you is it how are you listening because i know it's not just you reading your twitter feed no 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 we so we have uh um you know, MS1 has a platform that that uh, we developed uh, through sort of a longtime partnership um, with with DARPA. So it is sort of it is sort of a government funded, uh, you know, in, in initially a government funded project, um, which was the technology was made to sort of find um, uh, find people who in, in the extreme right, domestic terrorist, or um, you know, Al Qaeda. ISIS. Um, and so it, it, it really had its roots in, um, you know, finding people that didn't want to be found and doing extreme sort of intense social listening. So it can process an incredible amount of data. And um, we basically pump uh, a lot, uh, any sort of publicly available data into, the, into that pipeline. And we're listening across, um, you know, publicly available Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, blogs, um, message boards like Reddit and 4chan. So we're listening to the conversation in lots of different places, um, consolidating it, and and that's how we sort of come to come to the understanding of, of the analysis we do. Are there any examples of your successes that you might share with us? Yeah. So we are in the middle of like a bunch of um, campaigns right now. Obviously, we are you know uh, coming up to election day, which is is really exciting. Um, so I think that the one one of the campaigns that was uh, we've done that has been you know, really interesting is is partnering with um, the Voter Participation Center uh, on on getting um, you know getting Gen Z registered and out to vote, and we've gotten some. Um, and you, you can share with your listeners just some incredible P two P content. So we've been listening to understand how millennials and Gen Z talk about voting, what keeps them from voting, uh, what what scares them about vote, vote by mail, and then working to address each of those concerns through. Um, through peer-to-peer -peer content. So it's been really interesting to, to, and sort of inspiring to get to tell all these stories and help these, um, you know, young folks amplify um, their voices and get, and get seen by, by more people about the importance of voting. So that, that's been really, really interesting. And there's a lot of evidence, you know, we've been doing um, a lot of analysis, trying to understand, you know, how, how we're able to influence uh, and how, how people react to sort of the content we're producing versus, your more um, standard digital creative. And uh, it looks like the people who come through our P2P um, based on our initial analysis are more likely to engage longer with the program. So they're more likely to register and, and go on and do everything else that the organization wants than people who come in through, through traditional marketing. So, you know, building those deeper relationships, especially in this time of COVID where you can't knock on doors, you can't um, you know, have those big meetings and all those things that you would do as an organizer. Um, you know, this is the way that we have to communicate. Thank God we have technology. Are you feeling good about, I'm just curious because I keep saying, I hope that all the Gen Z and millennials who came out to protest go out to vote. Are you seeing that as a good response? Can you give me some hope? I guess that's what I'm asking you, Ryan. I think 
it's going to be a close election, but we we have a real shot at beating Donald Trump. I think that that people seem very motivated. We've got some polling that is, you know, I don't, this might air in a, in a couple of weeks, but there's a lot of momentum. But it is incredibly important for every single person to get out and vote to make sure their friends vote and their family votes because uh, you know it's going to be a close election. Um, the polls always tighten. And that's what's going to happen here. So it's really important to, to get every single vote. Even if you think, hey, I live in California, it doesn't matter. We need to win by as big a margin as we can. So there's no doubt what happens on election day. No, I think it was um, when Michelle Obama spoke last week. And I, I think it was Pennsylvania she was talking about when she said it came down to like two votes per county that swung that state because it was that close. And when you hear that, the way she expressed that data, it's like, wow, I didn't really think about it in such minute terms because so many people like to say my vote doesn't count. I'm not one of them. I think our votes are extraordinarily important and that everyone should vote. That was my little plug for, for voting. Let's get to the pandemic, though. I want to talk about that a little bit um, because with a handle like Ryan New York, you are clearly a New Yorker. I know you, and I know you love the city, unless hopefully you haven't changed your mind on that recently. No, no. The city's not in a great place right now. And um, I don't know if you caught the James Altucher article on Sure, yeah. New York is dead forever. And then Jerry Seinfeld just, just brilliantly, in my opinion, came back the other day with calling him a putz, never referring to him by name, which I thought was very clever. And he believes that in New York tough, New York strong. So which camp are you in? Because I think it's kind of crazy. I hear many people saying they're going to leave New York, but then I hear just as many saying I wouldn't think about it. I'm pretty, I'm optimistic about New York. I think you cannot, New York is a very unique place. And I think when we say New York is over, it's not just New York, right? That all these other amazing, huge, vibrant cities have been hit especially hard by by COVID and the economic results of COVID. Um, but I, look, I'm optimistic. I think people want to live in cities. I think big cities like New York have gotten too expensive. And if there's going to be a reboot um, that makes uh, rent a little more affordable and food a little more affordable and living a little more affordable, that's not a terrible thing. That being said, we need our leaders to, to step up and, and make sure that, you know, our local and state governments are fully funded, that we don't have to cut services um, because, you know, there are bad scenarios where big cities could degrade if they're not, if we're not able to service them in the way that we've, we've been doing. You know, we've all gotten used to a certain level of, of crime and a certain level of public services and trash collection and cleanliness and all these things. And the, the danger is that there isn't like local and state funding from the federal government to cover those expenses. And so that's obviously a worry, but I think that New York is resilient and um, that New York will be back and, and other big cities will be back. And I, I can't wait to go to my second home, Mexico City and, and visit. So I, I, we, we need a vaccine and we need, uh, you know, we need some big economic responses to folks who are struggling, but I think we're going to get through this. Yeah, no, I mean, I do too. I've always believed in New York as being the definition of reinvention. And I've lived here through 9-11 and I've lived here through 2008. So I know that it comes back. This is definitely different because we've never quite seen anything like this. But I do agree, Once, whether it's a vaccine or whether there's a treatment that actually works, one of those two things, when you can start to open the theaters again in New York and you can go to a show, you know, immediately more people are coming in and that's going to have a huge effect on both the economy and the safetyness on the streets, because I think a lot of the crime, my own opinion is a lot of the crime is happening because there's not as many people out there. So there, it's it feels like it's more it's easier for them to 
to go in and, and commit these crimes. Yeah, and it's also it's also a little over, you know, I think it's, it's probably a little over-reported, right? Like the crime rate went back to what it was in 2014 or something. You know, we are in a much different place as a city than we were 20 years ago or 30 years ago when it came to crime. So I, I, we also need to make sure we're, we're, we're telling that story accurately and we're not creating a situation where people think that there's more crime than than there is. But uh, the theater thing you mentioned, obviously I'm a, I'm a Broadway uh, fan. I love the theater and, and it's been especially hard for my friends who are performers and producers and, and, and folks who work in the administration of New York City theater. And that, that is something New York needs to be supportive of. And, you know, I hope if we had a different political situation, we would have a bailout for performing artists, but that didn't happen. We like to bail out the airlines yeah. and the auto industry, but we don't bail out the restaurants. And, which I learned, which I really didn't know and uh, until I heard Danny Myers uh, say this twice in two different interviews I heard him on that restaurants are actually employ more people in this country than the airline and the automotive industry combined. Yeah. That doesn't... And I was like, wow, like, you know, I just, you know, just never really thought about it like that. And, um, and yet we don't really do very much to help them out. And they're a big part of my life, especially living in an area like this. So these are crazy times. What's made you the most crazy during this pandemic? I know you like to go out and about, my friend. Yeah, I've missed, I love all the things about living in a city, going to the museums and going out to drinks and dinner and the theater. And this has been really tough for me. I, I enjoy traveling. You know, I've been really lucky to be able to travel a lot and uh, both for work and, and pleasure. So those are the things that have probably driven me the, the most uh, crazy. I have been lucky that uh, I've gotten to go on a lot of hikes and ex- do some outdoors things that I probably wouldn't have done had there not pandemic. You know, something I, I, I feel really lucky to have been able to, to do. But, you know, going stir crazy, uh, especially during this, you know, that March, April, May time, that was a really weird time in, in, in New York and, and I know everywhere else too. I know. I know. It's like now that we're past that part, I feel better, even though it's things aren't 100%. Um, it's not 100% easy to get around yet. What kept you sane though? So you said you hiked. A lot of people have been reflecting. People, I started a podcast. Everyone, you know, people have. That's probably the most productive thing that I've done during this. I, I went, I'm one of those people who have gone from being very productive to not wanting to do anything through this whole experience. What kept you sane and, and what had you reflecting on? I always think that you're older than you are, Ryan, even though you are so young, but you're such an old soul and you accomplished so much in your young years. I was lucky enough to be quarantining um, with my boyfriend and we got along and that, that kept me sane. I, I got a lot of reading done, especially after March. March, I was pretty much like, I couldn't concentrate. It was too, everything was too weird. But once that settled, um, you know, and I think being able to get get a zip car and go out of New York for the, a weekend and, and walk around, go hiking was a, because one of the tough things about living in New York City is that most of us don't have access to outdoor space, like in the same way that all my friends who live in the suburbs have a backyard. So I'm, I'm used to being on conference calls all the time. But then at the end of the day, I, you can usually go outside and go have a drink or go to dinner so you get to change a scene. So that was being able to leave my apartment and do other things was, was definitely helpful. I think that's the hardest spot. I, I find myself just enjoying the time I'm outside, just walking. It's like, oh, this is so nice just to be outside because we're so starved for it and it's not as easy when you live in an urban area although now that i'm in beautiful downtown jersey city i do have a lot more walking paths that are that are closer and that are very pretty so what advice might you have for your art because you are an old soul words of wisdom as we 
go into this this next this next phase of of, of our lives here? Oh, I think it's going to be really important to uh, to get out and vote, obviously, uh, and make sure that all the things that we've been fighting for for the last several years don't get blown away because it's so unimaginable what would happen if Trump is reelected. And I think enjoy the fall, being able to be outside when it's not hot or not cold yet and like the perfect temperature to spend time with your families um, because it's going to be a rough winter. So I think while we can enjoy being outside and doing uh, socially distanced barbecues and, and things like that, we should make use of that time because we're going to miss the outdoors when winter rolls around this, this time. I don't I don't know how, how inspiring that is, but those are the two things that I've been thinking about. I've been thinking the same thing. It's like get out as much as you can now because hopefully we will not have a resurgence in this area, but no. Nobody really knows that for sure. So, and we still, we're still not allowed to eat inside in this area. Yeah. So where can our, um, where can our listeners find you online? And is there anything specific you want to share with them? Um, maybe about the voter participation center or anything else? If you're a person who, um, you know, is active on social media and, and you might want to be a part of some of the projects we're doing with Main Street One. We are always looking for new creators to work with. So I would encourage you to reach out and I'll, I'll put a link in the uh, the show notes to the influencer sign up. That would be the, the best thing for folks to get involved with uh, that, I'm, that I'm up to. And then you can always find me on Twitter and Instagram at, at Ryan New York. And then, you know, check out the travel podcast out of office, a travel podcast, um, you know, which we've We've been recording less of because of the, um, you know, because of the situation, but uh, there are a lot of great episodes and we're still doing, you know, uh, Kiernan's in a national park in Maine right now. So we're going to be doing an episode on that. So we're trying to, you know, talk about things that you can do socially distanced and safe. So still, still some travel out there. Well, thank you, Ryan. Thank you so much for joining me on this early, early edition of Marketing Mindfulness and Martinis. Yeah, it was great to, to join you. And next time we'll have to do a, a real martini. A real martini. Sounds good to me. I'm ready. Thanks so much for listening to Marketing Mindfulness and Martinis. This show would not be possible without my incredible creative and production team, Nadi, Cherry, Anthony, and Wa. If you liked what you heard, please share with your friends. Give us a rating on iTunes or Spotify so other people can find us. And hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. If you've got a question you'd like answered or a topic you'd like me to cover, please drop me a note, info at joannetombrakis.com. And until next time, remember, whatever got you to where you are isn't enough to keep you there. <laughs>